0: Hey, welcome back to the Men Podcast. Your host, Joe Roter and Red's Fly Shop here, uh, bringing you another edition of Tackle Talk. Technically, it's the first edition of Tackle Talk. It's just a catchy phrase I made up just now. But I kind of like that Tackle Talk thing, so we may keep that. I don't know what's in me this morning. Probably this uh, U-Band coffee that's way too strong So I mixed a bunch of my kids' Ovaltine in there to turn it into some kind of mocha. Not sure that's technically a mocha or not. One of you baristas or something can put a comment in there and tell me if that qualifies as mocha. Hey, so anyway, um, other than just catching up on some of the last month's adventures, I am going to go through my tackle bag. Uh, this morning and go through kind of my tackle items item uh, by item and explain why I've got them and uh, give you some ideas on how to get more organized and prepared because I'm trying to do that myself. Um, Seems like uh, I fish all over the place, fish all the time, I should be extremely well organized but I am not always extremely well organized So, uh, but I'm getting more so. Uh, as I guide longer and longer, I'd say my organization and preparation, uh, gets better. It has to. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to go through my basic, what we call a kit bag, a uh, kit bag could be a boat bag, could be a tackle bag, uh, for a lot of listeners, maybe it's just going to be a vest, uh, or some kind of backpack or hip pack. Uh, the first thing I'm going to say just about get your, your general trout tackle. And that's what we're going to kind of pivot around trout tackle, and then there will be some other discussion on why I have certain things in here uh, for other species. But when it comes to trout tackle, I can't implore upon you enough to get just really good backpacks, sling packs, or just a, like a big tackle bag, like a kit bag. You're going to spend a lot of money on flies. Uh, your time is extremely valuable. Get organized so that when the opportunity to... Um, the opportunity to just hop in the car and go fishing when that arises that you can just spontaneously jump in the car and do it. So get organized. All right. So mine is a fish pond cut bank gear bag. This is kind of where my trout tackle lives 12 months of the year. And I might take certain things out of here and put them in a sling pack or backpack or whatever. Uh, and then when I'm done with that certain wade fishing excursion, it's going to come back and live in here. And this could go in my truck, it could go in my boat, uh, or whatever. The wife's car, it's going to go with me if I go trout fishing. But it might stay in the vehicle. But I will build my sling pack based on what I need that day, and then the items kind of return back to the mothership here. So the fish pond cut bank gear bag, I don't know the exact measurements. It's about like 18 inches wide and oh maybe 14 inches kind of deep and on the lid it's got the first thing I want to note is just Velcro fly for fly patches. Uh, whatever you have tackle wise, make sure that when you're changing flies, you know, or you're breaking a rod down, maybe you're going to break it down and put it away. You've got a really good, you know, convenient place to just stick a random fly from time to time. You can put them in your hat or whatever, but flies are expensive. Um, and they should be cause you should get good ones. Uh, Life's too short to have a crappy fly anyway, but put them on these fly patches on the top, and it really helps just as far as your efficiency goes. So, diving inside this thing here, uh, I'm going to flip the lid open, and we're just going to kind of go through it in, oh, I don't know what type of sequence. In fact, let's start on the outside. So, on the outside of my kit bag, the first thing I want to note, and I just did a little video about this uh, yesterday is this fish pond headgate tippet holder. Now, I never used to think much about stuff like this. I was like, yeah, that's just just more gadgets. it's more stuff to get in the way. And then once I figured out that it had a cutter on the side, so meaning I could unroll a, a piece of tippet and then cut it without even having to reach for my nippers. Man, that makes a big difference. It's just super efficient as far as time. And I'm going to emphasize time again and again and again and again. Because the, the more efficient you can repair or replace a piece of tippet or change a piece of tippet. Maybe you were streamer fishing and now it's time to experiment with the dry. And you need to throw a, a piece of 4X or a piece of 5X tippet. Uh, it's just a lighter tippet for those of you that don't speak in X's. So we need to put a piece of lighter tippet on there. You can unroll it, cut it on the side, right on that tippet holder, and you're tying a new piece of tippet on literally in seconds. Uh, So I think that, and it keeps your tippet on the outside so that you can continually repair and replace things. And it easily unclips so that I can throw it on my backpack or sling pack or whatever uh, if I need to. So it's kind of an allude you'd have to get either see that video or get on our our online store and click on it to kind of understand how it works. But, um, essentially I've got seven or six spools of tippet on it right now in various sizes, both fluorocarbon and traditional mono. And, uh, I can see that I've got three X, four X, five, you know, three X and four X in the mono, and then two, three, four, five in the fluorocarbon. and. Uh, that tippet just lives there and makes it super convenient for me to get at. So that's the first thing. Um, inside here, I've got another fish pond headgate tippet holder for my saltwater tippet. Uh, and I have that in there just because I've been doing some bass fishing, and I like to have that stiffer uh, tippet, that stiffer like 12 to 16-pound tippet for largemouth. Saltwater tippet is super stiff and makes really good bass fishing tippet because it's abrasion resistant too. Okay, so that kind of covers the basic tippet. That stuff's on the outside. Uh, Next, I'm going to talk about indicators. So I've got like a little kind of random box, like a little tiny Tupperware thing, and it's got indicators in it. And I've got a big variety in there. If you want to learn more in detail about why you would want, you know, a variety of indicators, sizes, and styles... I have a little video I did a while back called the Strike Indicator Variety Pack, and we sell it all at Reds. It's like 15 bucks or something like that. Don't quote me on that. But it explains kind of why. But I'll go through what I've got. I've got three-quarter-inch thingamabobber uh, indicators for throwing bigger stonefly nymphs. Where, And I use the thingamabobbers, when I kind of know what depth I'm going to use for most of the, the fishing duration. Then I've got a three-quarter-inch airlock. Which is more, a more adjustable system where I can adjust my depth, and I often do that when I'm fishing a new place, or I'm wade fishing, uh, or wintertime fishing when I might go from fishing four feet deep and I need to go to seven feet deep, uh, and I adjust that. I don't care for the airlock style as much because of that knob on there it doesn't allow them to roll cast. They're a little bit heavier and more dense. Just in general, prefer thing of my bobbers, and then I've got some one inch uh, thingamabobbers as well for, in the event, throw really big stonefly nymphs and go steelhead fishing. And then I've got a big variety of different types of yarn. Uh, I prefer yarn by, by far if, uh, for indicators in yarn, I'll throw New Zealand wool in that category too. But, uh, I like yard indicators. They're more sensitive. You can read the drift better. Um, when I'm guiding, I notice people just flat out, As long as we're not running heavy dams, people flat out catch more fish when we use yarn. But you got to set it up right. You need to use floating. you got to experiment with it a little bit. Uh, Okay, so that kind of covers indicators. I'm going to touch on those again in just a second. But I'm going through the main compartment bay of my kit bag here. So the next thing I got is what I'm wearing for a lanyard. Uh, and it, my lanyards are really basic. I make them out of old fly line. Uh, and the lanyard's going to keep essential tools kind of right there available around my neck. And uh, what I've got on mine right now is a set of Dr. Slick uh, just scissor clamps. And that's an essential tool. You're, and I'm going to talk about those again because I keep like two extra sets in here, they're a lifesaver. Uh, but I've got a lanyard to keep my tools really handy uh, it's really critical. It's going to save you time. And I've got a Walton's thumb tool on there as well. So Walton's thumb tool has got a big variety of different things like scissors, tweezers, nippers, a uh, bunch of stuff you can do with it. I just think it's handy to have in general. It's kind of like, like the super duper boy scout multi-tool. Um, it's, compact, goes around my neck, and then I've got a lens cloth on there as well. The only thing that's missing right now is a set of nippers. I use the, either the scissors clamp or the Walton thumb Works suffices, but my nippers got super crappy and dull, and so I got frustrated and just threw them away to try to make myself buy a new set of nippers, and I haven't replaced them yet. But I'm going to go with a more premium type, like a, an Able or even a Hatch or something on my next round. I just I, The Dr. Slicks are great. Most of the time. But I burn through so many sets of nippers. They dole up so fast that I'm going to try something something a little bit more heavy duty on the next round. Okay, so s- still in this main compartment. This is stuff that gets used frequently, like every day. I've got a lot of extra tippet. Not everybody, no man on earth should own as much trial fishing tip as I do. But I've got like you know, six... Eight. I've got 24 extra spools of tippet, anywhere from 0x to 7x in fluoro de mono. Um, tippet, It, it, it can't run out of it. For the cost of it, it really isn't you know, that expensive. Just get some extra. Make sure you're always prepared with good tippet. Okay, uh, got this little bottle of good stuff here. I got Flyagra Floatin, um, fixes your fly dysfunction. So this makes your fly float. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So deal with Flyagra that I found. It's great for little dry flies. Uh, The instructions are to submerge your fly in solution, air dry, and best if used as a pre-treatment. So uh, good stuff. The only downside to Flyagra is it stinks. Um, It basically smells like lighter fluid. So I have found when you have picky trout in slower currents and you use this on your great big chubby Chernobyl type flies that the fish don't take the flies well. And uh, I've tested it, found that to be true. They're hard to hook when they're biting that stinky, lighter, fluid-smelling fly. But it works like wonders with your typical caddis, your para-atoms, that kind of stuff. So I carry the Flagra. I love it for the little flies. and just dip them in there. Air dry them, go fishing, and they float extremely well. So the flagger is good stuff, but just be aware. Uh, Next thing I'm reaching in for, Loon Aqual Floating. Just regular old fly floating. Uh, The only thing I'm missing on my kit bag right now is a floating holder on the outside of your kit bag. Uh, Most people don't run out of floating. They lose their bottle of floating in the river. And every fall, uh, when I pick up litter, I find numerous bottles of floating. Uh, they just, they slip away, get a floatin' holder. I think that'd be a good suggestion. I'm taking some notes for myself to to get a few things from my kit bag right down. A and holder so that my floatin's is either positioned on the outside of the kit bag or I could clip it on my, you know, like I said, shoulder strap on my backpack or my sling pack. That would be good. Okay, the next thing I got, I don't use this stuff as often as I used to, but I got a couple of containers of split shot. Uh, I use the Dinsmore type. Uh, it's non-toxic. It's fairly reusable. And I'm packing just two sizes of this. Uh, I'm packing the BB in the .4 grams. Uh, whatever split shot you're familiar with, use it. You don't have to use nod lead It's better if you do. But uh, the other one is a number eight in the .08 grams. So I got one big P, you know, one big style of split shot, one little guy, just depending on what I'm doing. I tend to, to rely on fly weight more than I used to. Um, the selection of tungsten beaded flies and heavily weighted flies has gotten a lot better over the years. So I'm using that most of the time to get my fly down. But I do use the split shot when it's windy. I find that to be really, really helpful when it's windy. Okay. Next. Uh, let's get into flies, and then I'm going to do one more round on tackle items. So with flies, uh, flies are a good investment. Take care of them. Like I said, flies are expensive. Um, they should be. Get good ones. First box I've got is my box of small dry flies. And man, I was out a couple days ago, and we had a killer cat and PMD hatch. And uh, I wound up using these tan parachute X caddis for that thing. I think we call it an the EC caddis on the Red's website. And uh, man, the fish absolutely were inhaling those things, eating them both as a, a pale morning dun, Also called a PMD, which is a yellow mayfly. And uh, that tan X caddis is parachute X caddis. Uh, over tan, doesn't matter, that fly works extremely well. But as I look in here, I've got you know varieties of caddis and emerging caddis. Caddis make a pretty good overlap into a lot of mayfly hatches. So don't feel like you always have to match the hatch exactly. Just get quality flies that you can see in the appropriate sizes, variety of colors. We sell bazillion flies online at Reds. You can go there and just click on the uh, click on dry flies, click on caddis, and uh, see what we've got there. But uh, the, there's a a couple that really stand out and that's the blooms, uh, parachute caddis. That's not the, the, the X caddis, but there's one called the blooms caddis. It's got a parachute post, great hair, great hackle, floats awesome, super fishy. That one jumps out at me as an essential. When I look at this box, the EC caddis, which is a parachute X style caddis, that one jumps out at me. And then some good traditional style elk hair caddis, uh, as well. And then caddis, caddis, caddis. There's a corn fed caddis that you got to have. There's a Quigley's crime scene caddis that I wouldn't want to fish without, uh, big variety caddis. Okay. So there's more than just couples. And then you got to have a peacock X caddis too. Okay. So there's even more, just go to that section, click on the ones that look good, but those are some of the ones that I think you got to have. Uh, as far as mayflies, uh, you know, there's two major types of aquatic insects that are going to physically emerge. And that's when trout are going to feed on these things when they're emerging and they're vulnerable and just kind of hovering there on the surface. And those are going to be caddisflies, which tend to take off a little faster when they hit the surface. And then there's mayflies, which tend to take off a little slower, a little more tempting for the trout oftentimes. You know, I'm drinking this coffee with Ovaltine, and I get used to this stuff. I think this might take off. Coffee and Ovaltine. It's got 12 vitamins and minerals. Nutritious to get your day started right. I'm going to start doing advertisements for them. Um, okay, so, so mayflies tend to take off a little slower. When you're in a fishing situation where you may have both of these types of insects, and mayflies look like little sailboats on the water, And they fly when they take off generally very vertically. They rise up in the air and very stable. Caddis bounce a lot and are a lot more fluttery and flighty. So, why is this important? When you see, when you have a couple of different bugs out there and you see trout rising, a lot of times you can tell by the trout's behavior which one of those they prefer at that given time. splashy takes that are very aggressive where you often just see a back and a tail where they're swirling and taking it just under the surface and it's an aggressive strike, a lot of times those are going to be caddis because caddis take off pretty fast. The trout realize they're a flight risk and they make sure to get them before they hit the surface and take off. Mayflies generally are a lot more vulnerable. Their wings take a little while to dry once they hit the surface. Mayfly hatches are wonderful for seeing trout patiently sip, and slowly come up, rise up, take a fly, go back down. It's one of the most majestic moments in fly fishing, seeing a trout do that. So you can choose your flies, your, your fly selection that you elect to tie on based on some of these trout behaviors that you're seeing. As far as mayflies go, you want to have standard parachutes for everything that you're fishing. Okay, So that might be a, a PMD or pale morning dunn excuse me, Burpin, it's that oval team. Uh, Standard parachute patterns like a PMD parachute would be a Pale Morning dun parachute. Have a variety of different parachute atoms patterns, especially the split wing atoms that we sell at Reds. That thing is the number one prospecting dry fly that I go to when there's mayfly hatches. So a variety of sizes, you try to see if they'll take that first. If they don't, we can get a bit more technical. So we're looking at parachute atoms, split wing atoms, and then a specific parachute to that insect. So if it was a pale morning dun, you would get a PMD parachute. If it was a blue-winged olive, which the acronym for that is BWO, that's another common one, we would get a BWO parachute. And that's where we would go if they don't eat that split wing atoms. If they don't want to eat that, and they often don't, trout are smart, then we're going to go with a cripple. Uh, which is basically it's cripple or it's an emerger. The term was, you know, coined by Ed Quigley, a famous fly tire. Uh, And the cripple basically is a, a mayfly that's having trouble getting out of its skin. The adult bug is trying to shed that skin as it goes through essentially its metamorphosis and it's stuck. It's having a little trouble getting birthed out of that skin. So it's a fly that's tied where the bug is kind of half out of that skin. So it's hard to describe, but if you get on our website, just search for cripple in the, uh, the search bar and you get a couple of options there. There's one called a pheasant tail cripple that works great for a variety of different situations for a variety of mayflies. Uh, that's a good one. And then there's some real specific ones. Uh, the other thing that you should have is a couple of drakes, brown and green drakes, uh, green drake cripples, you know, brown drake cripples. Those are a larger mayfly and you don't want to get caught on a Western river without some of those drakes. And then I got a variety of midge patterns and some other stuff. I could do a whole podcast just about small dry flies. Uh, I don't know if I can spend that much time on these other boxes, but get excited talking about little dry flies. Okay. Next I got streamers. I got a streamer box, uh, looking in here, uh, big variety in here just make sure with streamers you got uh you can you can fish any color as long as it's olive ha 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 uh that's my favorite i look in this box and it's loaded with olive of streamers dalai lama Sculpzillas, got one called the one sculpin mini loop sculpin style cup sculpin uh those are some of the popular ones all those are online at reds uh I got some little crayfish patterns, um, that I find work very effective a couple of times a year. There's, I don't know if there's a period of where the crayfish molt, but it just seems like once, once in a while I hit a crayfish hatch and they're crazy for it. Uh, the, the other thing I'm seeing here is that you got to have some small streamers like little black crystal buggers. Um, and I'll fish those under an indicator sometimes, especially when the water gets a little bit dirty. or if you're going to lake fish. Uh, if you're going to lake fish, you need to have like, a leech pattern, small leech pattern. I've also got a few uh, yellow zuddlers. It's basically zonker, muddler, conehead zuddlers. I like to have a few yellow patterns in there. I like to have a few streamers where I can actually see the streamer uh, if the water's clear enough. So have a variety of different weights and sizes if you're streamer fishing for trout. If you're trout spay fishing... Uh, make sure that you have a few that are very sparse, meaning there's not a lot of material, not a lot of weight, but they're more they're they're closer to a feather than a plug. I guess would be one way to describe it. Okay, so those are two different fly boxes. Um, again, this is my kit bag. This is the mothership where equipment lives in here during the year, so that I can protect it. It's organized, and flies will come out of here as needed for my different excursions. So the next fly box I got is my stone fly nymph box and, uh, it's loaded with a bunch of different stone fly nymphs, but I'm going to pick out some of the highlights. The Rainy's Jiggy Stone, uh, that's a killer. Just go get a bunch of those things. Uh, they're tied on a jig head. Uh, see it, it bounced along the bottom. It doesn't snag up. Uh, just get that fly. That thing is killer. We just started fishing that thing this year and I wish I'd had it 10 years ago. Um... A lot of path stones, a lot of Jimmy Leg stones, a lot of 20-incher stones, uh, in varieties of sizes and colors. Uh, Stoneflies live on a two- to four-year life cycle, so any western stream where stoneflies are present, uh, stoneflies are always a good idea. It's not specifically about that particular hatch that day, but if they live two to four years, it's always a good prospecting idea in a a foraging uh, food source for the trout. In my stone nymph box, I've also got uh, San Juan worms as well. Uh, always keep a good variety of San Juan worms. It's not one of my go-tos, but I'll fish it, you know, when the river, you know, takes a sudden rise or gets a little bit dirty, I think. Uh, you know, worms, trout like worms. You know two ways about that. They, they love them. Um, all right, so let's go... Uh, where should we go next? There's so many options here. So let's go with my. It's it's called the midge box. I've got midges written on it. But you need to have. You're going to be in situations where you're going to need little itty bitty flies, and I keep these because they're such small little bastards. I keep these guys in their own box so they don't run away on me because inherently small flies tend to evaporate over time. So I've got one specific box. Uh, that I keep these midges in so that I don't open my big stonefly nymph box and half the midges pour out on the ground. So the midge box, I've got brassies, zebra midges, WD-40s, and variety of sizes and colors. That's basically it. I've got a couple of chronomids in there, but zebra midges and a variety of sizes and colors um, or killer, make sure whatever you're doing for fly selection Get on the Red's website, find that zebra midge, get blacks, reds, olives, get a couple of sizes and colors. Um, it'll absolutely salvage the trip for you at some point when those fish are eating midge and nothing else. Generally fish can be fooled with a fly smaller than what they're, they're often eating. But if you're trying to fish bigger than what the the hatch is, that generally doesn't work so good. Um. Just generally, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but uh, especially if you're fishing in pressure drought. Okay, the next box I grabbed is uh, s- specific to squalla flies. stoneflies. Um, that's a hatch that happens here, typically March, uh, late February through April. Uh, bunch of squalla stonefly nymphs and dry flies in there. That's a little more specialized, but I got a specific box for that for most of y'all. It's gonna live your, stonefly, or your big dry flies live in your big dry fly box. Your stone nymphs live in your fly box, but that one's in there. Uh, the next thing I got is just a little runabout box. Uh, it's got kind of a, it's just a little pocket box. Uh, it would fit in my shirt pocket, and I keep a little variety of flies in there, and that thing's just kind of my u- little utility, kind of my go-getter, black ops operation type box. Either I am going to go and fish someplace that I need to put a little assortment together, like I'm leaving the truck in the morning, and I'm like, hey, we're going to go wade fish. I know we're going to be on some fish-eating caddis. Throw a few caddis in here. A couple of buggers if I'm going streamer fishing or lake fishing. That's just kind of my runabout. So you got my runabout box. The next box is a lot bigger. Uh, this one here, our Yakima River, where I do a lot of guiding and a lot of fishing. This isn't just about being an outfitter. Um, this is about trying to be a fisherman, go catch trout. Uh, This is a great big box. Uh, The box itself is called the Cliffs Bugger Beast Jr. It's this big yellow thing, and it it opens up like a briefcase. And I'm looking inside here, and this is where I keep uh, my favorite type of fly, and those are my larger dry flies and terrestrials. So larger dry flies and terrestrials would be like grasshoppers, stoneflies, beetle patterns, crickets, um, bees, any type of, of dry attractor. My uh, my my favorite fly to tie are larger dry flies. I love tying my own stone fly patterns. Uh, I don't tie flies a lot anymore. When you got three kids and business to run and uh, honey do list and all that, you don't just sit down and tie flies for two hours every night. Um, you barely have time to <laughs> do anything. So, but I do. I love tying larger dry flies, and so I'll start tying those and. Right around 4th of July on our river is when the fish start to get a little bit more selective about what dry flies they eat, and hand-tied and custom-tied flies begin to make a big difference. So I'm looking in here, and some of this stuff is super top secret. I can't share it with you. But uh, some of the other ones that I've got are, I love moorish hoppers. I love Tupac stones. I absolutely love, absolutely love, and if you're listening to this, go buy this fly. If you if you don't buy any other dry fly from us, go buy the double post foam ant is I think what it's called. It's a black ant with two white pieces of foam and parachute hackles tied around those. I think it's it's got a boring name. I need to come up with some awesome name for it and it's sell better. I don't know if I want it selling better. This is a sweet fly. It's one of my go-tos. Uh, it's a double post foam ant and that thing just kicks ass. I have fished that. All over the country, anytime I go on a road trip or go someplace new and I'm going to be throwing a dry fly, that bug gets a call. I don't care if it's a mayfly hatch, a caddis hatch, whatever. I will throw that double-post foam ant at those fish. And the thing looks so real, they eat it, like, every time. And uh, just another note. Okay, let me back up. A note on terrestrials. A terrestrial insect, for those that are kind of learning fly fishing and haven't heard these terms before, a bunch of terms you're confused about is the terrestrial is a food source that came from outside the river and fell into the river. So it wasn't born in the river. It doesn't live in the river. It didn't come out of the water. It didn't emerge like a, you know, like an aqua, like a mosquito or an aquatic insect. Mosquito is a pretty good description for somebody who knows, you know, bugs live in the water, right? So it's not a cat. It's not a mayfly. It's like a cricket. It's a bee. A bee is a really easy one to understand, or a grasshopper. So terrestrial, and there's a bazillion terrestrials that we don't know the name of. There's little bugs crawling around out there, usually black bugs. Sometimes big bugs, like a June bug or a cicada. Crazy looking beetles. So terrestrial insects have an actual exoskeleton. They're heavy. They're dense. They're very fulfilling to the trout. So... When trout get an opportunity to take a terrestrial, they love those things. So I'm checking this box out, double post Fomance Essential. I've got a lot of terrestrials, Snozzberry Hopper, uh, Chubby Chernobyls. That is the number one most overfished fly in the western U.S. Uh, I carry a handful of them. I I don't dislike them, but I carry a handful of them for carrying dropper nymphs. and I, I'm not a huge fan of dry droppers. They tangle and they snag a few fish, but I do I do fish them. Uh, and I'll use a, a chubby Chernobyl, often like a number eight or a ten for carrying those things. Uh, I've got bullethead golden stones. I've got a variety, uh, salmon, a lot of salmon flies. The Rainy's Terra Narcissist. Uh, if you just type in, I don't expect you to be able to spell Terra Narcissist, uh, but. If you're going to salmon fly hatch, get that Rainey's, uh, Terranorcist, crowd surf, got one called crowd surfer stone. Uh, the egg drop Rainey's egg drop stone is in here. I'd say that one's a a must have, uh, what else do we need to, we absolutely has to have, we have to have, oh, uh, head turner hoppers. Got to have a head turner hopper. Got to have a leopard hopper. Uh, And I think there's, I can't remember the name of this one, but I think it's like a sexy legs hopper. Uh, But get a good variety of these bigger dry flies. Trout, um, generally, fly fishing is 90% presentation. and I'm not going to deny that that's true. Uh, But when it comes to big dry flies, 90% presentation, absolutely small nymphs, small dry flies. How you sell that fly to the fish is by far the most important uh, big dry flies too, but big dry flies, just because they're more visible, uh, do make a big difference. If you have uh, a better fly, you will have an advantage. Okay, so big dry flies, uh, let me get into, I'm going to do some small tackle items here in a minute, and I want you all to pay attention to that, because there's a couple of tidbits in there you should know about. Uh, the last box I've got here is uh, my bass fishing box, and uh, I'm kind of rebuilding um, I've, I swear I loaned out my bass flies to one of the guys at the shop and it never got returned. I had like thousand bucks worth of bass flies in that thing and I don't know what the heck happened to it. Nobody seems to know where my bass box went. Uh, so I'm starting fresh, okay? And it's kind of a good thing because I had like way too many flies in there. So this bass box is pretty abbreviated, but I think if you somewhat replicated what I'm about to describe to you, I think anybody can go catch largemouth and smallmouth uh, and be very successful. I could go guide tomorrow with these flies and be very happy. So uh, I've got like five poppers. I've got a Kermit, the frog popper. Uh, that's a green one. A couple of white poppers. Uh, you just go to our website, search popper, and you'll you'll see a variety of the bass-oriented poppers. Uh, just make sure you don't get confused by the big saltwater poppers. Uh, I've got this little orange popper for panfish. And then I've got these rainies, and this fly is killer. It's called a Rainy's Jiggy Worm. And Curtis at the shop has been hammering smallmouth on the Columbia River system um, with this thing. And I've been fishing it in the lakes. And uh, I'm about to put the hurt on some smallmouth with this thing next week on the lower Yakima River. Uh, but it is, it's killer. dude. It's basically a freaking rubber worm. I'm not going to lie to you. It's basically a rubber worm, but it's a fly. It's like tails made out of chenille. It's awesome. Uh, It's very effective. It's got some eyes on it. It's got a jig style hook so you don't snag the bottom. Rainy's Jiggy Worm. Get the purple ones. Get the yellow and olive ones. Uh, Great fly. Just started fishing that fly this year. The next fly up is called the Jawbreaker. Um, Get those in all the colors. Get them in all of the crayfish color, white and black. The jawbreaker is legit you can see a bunch of bass fishing videos on uh the reds youtube channel where i show you how to fish a jawbreaker and show you a bass that are taking a jawbreaker which is like damn near every bass takes a jawbreaker uh so jawbreakers are great and then i've got a couple of these i wish i could remember the name but we have them on our website and i can see there's tooth marks in these things which reminds me how good they work but uh they're a, they're a crayfish p- pattern. And uh, smallmouth, especially if you're fishing smallmouth, man, smallmouth, it, hammer crayfish. I've cleaned smallmouth. Smallmouth are one species that are cool because the biologists tell them, hey, you need to keep those things. If you want, if you want bigger smallmouth, keep them. Keep you know your limit. That's why they set limits. And uh, especially in river systems, I mean, we we have the Columbia River system, which is one of the biggest smallmouth factories in the world. Uh, and they say keep them so that you actually get better growth out of your fish and I clean those things and they are chock full of crayfish in the early summer months so crayfish good so that kind of concludes flies Uh, I'm going to go hit on a few tackle items uh, and just other essential things I'm sure there's some stuff I'm forgetting here so feel free to put it in the comments if I'm totally missing something the next thing I got is, uh, are Versa leaders. These are sinking leaders that I can attach to the end of a fly line. So let's just say I'm pitching my normal five weight fly line and uh, all of a sudden I want to get a little bit deeper. And I can just throw one of these sinking leaders on. They, they go for anywhere from a real slow sink at like an inch per second uh, or an inch and a half per second, which is the intermediate rate. And all, they go all the way down to like 7 inches per second. And they, they can range anywhere from 6 feet to 15 feet. So basically I can make my existing floating line into a makeshift sink tip line. Not nearly as good as buying a true sink tip line, which is way better, and casts way better, fishes way better, and you don't have any loop to loop connections. But in a pinch, these things will convert your floating line into a sinking line. I think everybody should have several leaders. I have a whole kit. I think you should probably go buy a whole kit if you're serious about fishing. And then get a good tackle bag so you don't lose them. Because most people don't... It seems like most people don't wear out their gear like that. They loan it out to their damn buddies. And it uh, never comes back or their kids get a hold of it. Which I'm beginning to have that problem now that my boys are 11 and 9. And they're fishing fools. Uh, so... Okay, moving on to more tackle items. So get yourself some sinking leaders. The next thing I have are my backup tools. Okay, so this is, I've got actually two sets of backup scissor clamps because you cannot afford to get out there without backup scissor clamps. You need to be able to pinch barbs. I use them to tie knots. Uh, I use them to cut flies out of trees like a pair of pruners. They're... If you haven't got a set of scissor clamps, just go buy a damn set of scissor clamps and I'll quit yakking about it. But I carry two extra sets. I can't afford not to be go to a day of fishing with those. I've also got a set of older nippers uh, just in a side pocket. This is like, in case of emergency, break glass. I've got another set of nippers in there. Again, you've got to be efficient. I've got an extra set of nippers in case I lose the ones on my lanyard, which currently I'm using a Walton's thumb for my nippers, which is, works, but it's not the most convenient. Still got to upgrade. Uh, okay. Next thing in that side compartment that has my backup tools, I got a set of tweezers in there in the event I need to do any real fine work, pick apart a knot, tangle, pull a sliver out of somebody's hand, uh, pull a hook out of somebody's hand, just tweezers or something I've found over the years to come in handy from time to time. Maybe pick up all those midge flies off the ground in the parking lot when I spill them. Uh, as for instance, the next thing I got in here is a, uh, it's basically a lice comb but uh, it's called a strike indicator comb. And it's for brushing out yarn or wool strike indicators and creating uh, lots of microfibers and surface area on uh, the yarn indicators. And I think yarn indi- an indicator comb, if you want to nymph fish uh, with indicators at the best possible level, get an indicator comb. Just don't laugh at it, don't fool around, get yourself an indicator comb. Uh, it's Like I said, it's a metal comb. It's basically a lice comb. Uh, get one of those things. The other thing I have is a thermometer. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting. If you keep a journal, um, pay attention to the water temperatures, uh, especially during the summer. Uh, if, you're, if you're not catching a fish and you're wondering why, and then you take a water temperature, it's, it says it's 67 degrees or 68 degrees. Well, there's your clue. Um, fish don't bite very good when there's, you know, the water gets extremely warm because there's no oxygen and then it might, you might consider just taking the afternoon off from fishing anyways because when you do catch a trout it's extremely tough on the fish so uh, thermometer is kind of an interesting thing to be able to just see what the water temperature is I have people ask me all the time like when I'm on the river hey what's the water temperature I'm like hell I don't know I mean I could find out if I wanted but why don't you get a thermometer we're, we're always asking that Okay, next pocket. So the next pocket I've got another type of strike indicator and I encourage you to check out that strike indicator variety pack that we put together, Reds, because you'll get a couple of these in that or you can see them It Better Explain the video. They're called PULSA Pinch On Strike Indicators. They're little tiny adhesive indicators. They're like a little piece of foam tape basically that's like pink or green or orange or whatever color you happen to get. And uh, they're for fishing like a little midge pad, little suspended nymphs and midge patterns, like over a hatch. Okay. Very effective for just, you know, fishing one little tiny fly suspended, like especially at trout that are rising and feeding on uh, some su- suspended uh, nymphs or mergers just under the surface. You can take them, put a little nymph, and you can fish it six to 12 un- inches under that little pulse of pinch on. And catch those trout that are feeding and swirling near the surface, but won't take a dry fly. That's what I find that pulsa to be very handy for. That and small creek and spring creek indicator nymphing. Okay, so and then you know we can also discuss real briefly like Euro nymph fishing because some of your listening are very know in- I'm very interested in that. I've been learning how to do it this last year and a half or so. I'm getting a lot better at it real fast that you can't always Euro-nymph to those fish because when they're out there rising in a particular seam and sitting suspended, you can't walk up on those fish without scaring them. Euro-nymphing works really well when fish are holding in pockets and they're approachable. But if a fish is holding out there and he's offshore and, and out there feeding and you need to present a small nymph to him, you may need to throw a longer cast and that pulse al- allows you to suspend and fish a small nymph on a long cast, like a Spring Creek type scenario. So, get some pulses. Uh, The next thing I got are just some supplies uh, for building my own Euro uh, nymph fishing leaders. I've got tippet rings, I've got Dacron backing in a couple different colors. Kind of a different subject, but I keep some loose backing in a little Ziploc bag in case I need to build a Euro nymphing leader. The next thing I've got is an extra Rio Euro nymphing leader in here. Uh, Need to have some of those. Uh, Next thing I've got is a three pack of seven and a half foot 2X leaders. This is what I would fish for streamers, for bass, uh, or also build like a heavy indicator nymphing rig if I'm going to put like a stonefly nymph under there. Uh, Next thing i got is a nine foot 3X leader, a nine foot 4X leader, uh, and this one is just an old leader in a Ziploc bag that I saved. Uh, when you have leaders that are in decent shape, uh, and you're going to pull them off for whatever reason, change it. I just save them. Uh, you don't always have to use them, but put them back in a little Ziploc bag. I, I try to save my leaders, uh, in the event I need them. Next thing I got is a little bottle of this, uh, Soul, um, SPF 45s, uh, Sun Guard. That's what they call it. Uh, anyway, Soul is the best, uh, I'd say the best sunscreen I've used. Uh, I'm pretty conscientious of what I'm using. And uh, I actually keep a little bottle of it carabiner to the outside of my bag, and then I got another little bottle inside this big pocket of this bag. Uh, next thing I got, uh, some more thingamabobbers that aren't in that little tip where I talked about earlier. I got a bunch of New Zealand wool and a New Zealand strike indicator kit. Uh, I don't always use the full-on kit or tool um, to build a New Zealand strike indicator. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go to our YouTube channel and just type in New Zealand, and uh, you'll see that, that's for fishing real picky and technical trout. Okay, so now I'm getting in uh, to the backside of the lid. This is probably my least accessible pocket. Not hard to get to on this kit bag, Uh, but I'm gonna get in here, and this is just stuff that I keep with me. It doesn't take up much room. I've got uh, a few more VersaLeaders, uh, I've got these, got some clear intermediate ones, in the event I'm pulling streamers uh, and I want just a little bit more sink, I can put on a slow sinking VersaLeader. Uh, I've got three more of those that aren't living in my little kit wallet. I've got a Leatherman Wave tool, I always, always keep a Leatherman tool in my kit bag. Uh, I try not to put it in my waiter pocket and stuff like that because I need it to be in this bag. In the event uh, I need to repair something, used it just the other day to turn a couple of bolts. Um, came in really handy. So I try to leave, as tempted as I am to carry that around my damn pocket all the time, um, I generally just keep a pocket in my pocket and try to let that Leatherman live in this bag. Uh, I got some ibuprofen in case my, uh, my Rowan Shoulder. Um, starts acting up. And then inside a gallon Ziploc bag, I've got several extra bottles of floatant because you cannot get caught out there without floatant. So I keep extra floating in there. And uh, I'm not a smoker of any kind, but I keep a lighter in my kit bag in the event I need to start a fire, light up some dude's cigar, melt something, uh, or build a survival fire. Uh, and I think there's just... Yeah, there's two more things. I've got a really little first aid kit. Uh, Basically, it's just kind of a, you know, basically band-aids and some tape, more or less. I'm not going to open that thing all the way up. Uh, Okay, one more pocket. I've got some 30-pound Maxima Ultra Green Leader. That's for the event I need to build my own butt sections of my leader. Uh, Okay, the only other additions I'm seeing that should be in there... uh, toilet paper, that'd be a good idea. Um, don't realize you're missing it until you need it. And then the only other thing I've got here, and this is seasonal, is I've got a gallon bag uh, with a set of really good fishing gloves in here. And that was, that's been in here since the spring. It's June now, so I can take that out, but I think having a really good set of dry gloves in your kit bag, because even if you bring one set of gloves, inherently, gloves get wet, you're going to want to put another set of gloves on. So I keep a backup set of dry gloves in my kit bag. I think that's useful um, information to have. So that's basically a rundown of my tackle bag. I can't think of too many things I'm missing other than a set of Primo nippers and really some TP. Uh, I'm pretty well outfitted here Uh, with everything I need to go fish. And it sounds like a lot of stuff. It actually fits really nice and tidy inside this this pond cut Bank gear bag. Um, It's extremely well organized. Uh, I have a video on that kit bag where you can actually see it. So maybe I'll link... I think that's the best way for you to kind of link in and see what this stuff looks like because it's not... I mean, it's just like a small kit bag. It's a lot of stuff, but it all fits neat and tidy in there. I'm not talking about like a giant suitcase here. Um, anyway, I uh, hope you enjoyed first edition of Tackle Talk today. Uh, I'll get uh, a few more podcasts up here soon. And always looking for suggestions. Uh, you can... Uh, message me through our Facebook page at reds fly shop That's probably an easy way to send me a message uh, or put your suggestions for future episodes in the comments. I also encourage you to check us out uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and follow the YouTube channel and then you always go to redsflyshopcom we 'd love to get your business do some shopping online with us and uh, and uh, anyway we 'll catch up and look forward to your comments and input if you have any. Fish on.